inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Hello, good morning. Welcome to another episode of Outlook. You're listening to Radio Western here in London, Ontario, and this is the first Outlook of the fall. Yes, I guess so. I haven't looked at the calendar recently. <laughs> you haven't. It was fall uh, this past Tuesday on the 22nd, I believe. Well, my favorite time of the year, but I, I always forget the day. So, thanks for every everybody for tuning in on this Monday morning. Heading into October then, and uh, today we asked uh, an old friend from way, way back to be on. I sort of asked around to find out a bit about our, well, how our parents came together for, for the reasons that they did, and even those details are a little choppy over the years. Um, but it all apparently started with a few families in the sort of area that, I guess there was a lot of care for infants who were diagnosed with blindness uh and then going to the you know toddler years but as far as preschool there wasn't so much for for them i guess so a few um parents in the area got together and decided to make that happen and uh so yeah i guess our guest today your your parents from what i hear were more um integral in starting it all and my our mom was just sort of there to help with things, but I'm not sure what you remember from your side. So welcome, Sarah Jepnikar to Outlook. Hello. Well, it's really cool to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, it's a great chance to chat and uh, thanks for tuning in. So yeah, I think it was, um, and I details are a little bit shady as well, but my understanding was that we had um, six families in the late 80s, early 90s, saw an unmet need for support for blind and low vision uh, kids from birth to age six. And uh, they teamed up and started the Child Light organization where our families came together and uh, worked on, on, that, on that project and, and saw it through, through a number of transitions and other things. And so it was a early advocacy for us uh, from, uh, from the cradle, I guess. Brian and I, as people who are listening regularly, know our, our brother and sister. And uh, so, Sarah, you're you also had a sibling, so it yes. wasn't just you and the family, or maybe it was just you and your sister. But you were both diagnosed with. If you want to tell us a bit about that, or yeah, so um, I have two siblings, and uh, one of whom is also diagnosed with retinopathy prematurity. So uh, the two of us have similar. Um, same eye condition, different experiences of it, but uh, yeah, so three of us in the family, and uh, I'm the youngest, so obviously that means I'm the perfect child, but uh, yeah. That's true, right, Brad? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, I guess. Uh, um, so that, there is a similarity there, because Carrie and I are both siblings who are blind, and we both have different levels of vision, which is the same case with you and, and your sister, that's mm -hmm. correct, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so. 
And that gives exactly. people an idea about how, even though it may be the same condition, it there's various levels of, of blindness and it doesn't mean that just because two people have the same diagnosis, it doesn't mean that they have the same amount of sight. So, Oh, for sure. Yeah. And especially with things like retinal detachment, it happens with grades and gradations and uh and it's you know different levels of detachment mean different things and uh, different experiences. So it's it varies for sure with everybody. Yeah. Um, so has your vision stayed uh, as we say for Brian, like it is for Brian, more stable mm -hmm. all your life, or have you have you have you seen a change or any kind of issues? Uh, it's been fairly stable, which is it's handy. Um, you know, things crop up here and there, but for the most part, it's been. Uh, stable and consistent which is easier i'd imagine to deal with in many respects because you're sort of um always in the same playing field and and we're working with the same skills and the same skill set consistently so that is uh definitely i think an easier road in many senses well yeah as we talk about a lot like um i guess there's the medical side of blindness the medical mm -hmm. model of of disease in in the kind of retinal diseases we've we've talked about on this show uh and that's sort of what we like to touch upon but it's obviously for someone like brian or sarah it might not be all you know the main thing that's been a frequent uh thing to deal with in their lives so i just wanted to ask you about that because i know some people prefer to talk more about sort of one side or another but yeah i think the luxury of not having medical issues means that you don't really have to think about it in terms of a medical sense it's more for me a social you know thinking about medical model versus social model um if we're if we're going that route it's it's definitely more social for me um but yeah that's the that's the benefit of not having any significant issues with it over the years and uh, not having other complicating conditions that mean that i can sort of i can focus on on dealing with it uh in the world as a consequence as opposed to the actual like you know other other things and our parents would have our parents would have dealt with it differently obviously when we're born and they first are introduced to having these small children with it it, mm -hmm. it is a very medical thing and yeah. eventually as we grow up as brian or sarah have really attested to that it's it becomes something else like you said yeah, and especially I think well, Brian and I had the benefit that we weren't the first ones, right? So um, right. we we uh, are older and Carrie, in your case, and my my one of my immediately older sister and mine sort of broke the mold. So our parents were sort of they're they're ready or not or <laughs> I shouldn't say ready, but more used to the idea than perhaps they might have been. And because we weren't the first born children either, the whole. Um, terror of having any child was was less i would think perhaps and i can't speak to either of our parents experiences but that would be my sort of thinking is that um older siblings and then older siblings with visual issues sort of and and other things kind of um allowed us to sort of swing in with uh they were ready now just curious did you happen to since <laughs> since your sister was born before you did did, did your parents <laughs> expect that that might happen was it looked into beforehand or was it more once after you were born they i uh, have they you? Listen, <laughs> you might not you might not know but. i don't know it's an interesting question i don't know if it was ever considered um I, I don't even know if it was known that it could it could happen twice in a family or anything like that it was uh 
yeah, yeah just don't, always uh, find it interesting uh, for blind siblings and we were thinking of doing some mm-hmm. blind siblings weeks in the future because it is neat that um there are these these families that have that and you know a lot of people it's just one mm-hmm. one child in the family is blind so yeah it's definitely a different experience um but the, the other difference with us is you so you grew up in london um your entire yes. life is that right and that's right we were from outside of woodstock so we connected a little bit um as Carrie, as we talked about at the top of the show, um, but not not that much. And um, just kind of curious, mm-hmm. maybe to speak a little bit about growing up here in London. I I live in London now, but uh, just moved here about eight years ago. So kind of how how it, life was like growing up. Um, a little bit about schooling growing up. Both Carrie and I were integrated. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could speak a little bit about that as well. Yeah. So I was too, and uh, and that was it was a an interesting experience, a decent experience for me. I think the benefit of living in London, a slightly more urban center is that you have the benefits of transit and, you know, you, I grew up on transit and, and have that ability and um, take it quite confidently. So that was something that, that was a big deal in terms of uh, allowing me to access things and opportunities and whatnot. And uh, yeah, in terms of schooling, I mean, I was integrated. I, I studied what I wanted to, I had, um, um, I mean, my whole clan is, is pretty driven, so having that background of, of exploring sciences and math and music and all sorts of things that sometimes uh, blind kids don't have access to in the same way uh, meant that I was able to do a whole bunch of stuff, which was pretty cool. So I went to a school for music in London, uh, did high school and a whole bunch of different extracurriculars and whatnot, and then ended up leaving the city for university. So had had lots of... Um, you know, a, a platform to, to jump from, which started from being able to access physically in in, in more of an urban center, and also the the other sort of drivers that my family and, and teachers and other people instilled that I was able to sort of keep trucking along, so to speak. Yeah, like we said, we grew outside of London, so we mm-hmm. were um, we weren't sure what it was like the school system being integrated in in the city of London. Yeah, I think it's it's it it uh, differs so much from you know the people make a school culture and and you know so it's I think it would it would differ so much from case to case because I mean I had a positive experience I know some people have have different ones and I think it it really depends on on who's involved right um, the adults at home the kid the teachers principal all of that in general I think it. Uh, so my my I certainly only, can only speak to my experience that it was largely positive. I was able to uh, work through any issues I came across. So you had good support in the with the school board and uh, yeah yeah largely I did. I think I I think I freaked people out a little bit when I wanted to go to a school for music that had in person there before and they weren't sure how that was going to work. Uh, but again, I had advocates in my corner and in the form of itinerants and my parents and. I knew I could do the work. So that was a school, a school for music. Was that during high school? Uh, it was a grade five to eight school. Wow. Shout out to St. Mary Choir and Orchestra Program. It's a good school. It, uh, was, it was good for me. Yeah, we've been speaking lately about how we were going to have a couple shows that touch on music a little bit more because we haven't really talked about that mm-hmm. too much on our show and it's it's always one of those things where it's sort of a stereotypical thing that people might think oh if it someone, is such a stereotype. someone who's blind <laughs> must be a musician or into music and 
finding out, well, kind of also through just common sense, but also being exposed to many blind people and these conventions we've been to and everything, you realize that it's it's just like any, in a lot of ways, it's like any segment of the population. I mean, there's blind people that are, that are musicians and, and sing in choirs and whatnot, and then there are a lot of blind people who don't. So um, it is nice to be able to touch on touch on music, though, a little bit more on, on this show. Um, and maybe just give a bit of an idea of what, what sort of stuff you did at this, at the school for music and how, how it worked for you. I did a little bit of music in high school with braille music, but I pretty much uh, did all of my music mm-hmm. by ear. So just kind of curious how that worked for you. Yeah. So I, um, because I went to, it was sort of thought felt to be important because I was going to this particular school that, um, I needed the music braille was going to be important. And so I learned uh, music braille from a a mentor and before I went and so I had that knowledge and then I, I had itinerants who could translate things manually for me from print music to braille music and that was uh, really helpful it um, I learned piano and voice by ear up to that point so I sort of I still will revert back to, to doing stuff by ear and but having both having the ability to to read mute notes and figure out rhythms and, and things like that in addition to hearing it how it's supposed to sound um, was good because especially so with I sing in um, I sing in choirs and being able to sight read music so you have your music binder and you can read with one hand as you're singing um, is helpful because you can um, get dynamics and, and rhythms and other things that you might not you could probably certainly could memorize but it it sometimes is a lot to uh, to do but with uh, I play the violin and uh, in elementary and high school and and that because your hands are occupied <laughs> with the instrument and the bow, you have to read the music, learn the music, memorize the music, and then you can play it. And so it uh, having a, some ear training in addition um, to the score was really helpful because sometimes it just took too long to get that music into, into my brain and figure out the rhythms and, and then sort it out so I could actually play and get reasonably okay at it. So it... Uh, Choir music is certainly easier to keep on top of, but uh, having the instrument is 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 fun too. I uh, I have had a conductor once say that uh, the best instrumentalists are singers, and the best singers are instrumentalists, and so having both of those things was pretty cool. Piano I continued by ear because it's just easier. There's so much information to get out of a piano score that uh, it's something I should work on. But uh, for the moment, ear training is is the way I've been working things. Yeah, you make up some make touch on some really interesting points there because for me, I did play trumpet for a bit in high school and like you say if it's an instrument you can't really obviously being blind you can't read braille and play at the same time so it exactly. it makes it a little more challenging and that's probably why I never sure. quite I learned uh, braille music to to an extent but never overly mm-hmm. like too fluently and I think the difference is I wasn't um singing so if you're singing it makes total sense you can still you can still look at the music um, with mm-hmm. uh, or feel the music as you're as you're singing. So that definitely exactly. does make a make a huge difference. For sure, and it's it's the challenges too is also finding braille music. So finding people who can translate it, um, especially uh, being out of the school system. So I've I've been able to find volunteers, which is great. Um, but because it's a specialized skill, if you're paying for it for someone to do it, you're going to be paying hundreds or thousands of dollars for a number of like I, I can't imagine how much. Uh, it would cost to have every score I've ever had in the past few years uh, paid for transcription. It would be a quite the uh, 
quite quite the expense and and of course it, i mean it makes sense because it's a specialized skill but it's also a bit of a barrier too because it, it you know it's it's not money that people have necessarily yeah and it's not always a, a mandatory subject and it's one of those things that a lot of yeah transcribers and stuff like they're they're trained to to transcribe braille but to ne- to do music is like you say another skill set and it's not yeah math and music are like next level math. for for um itinerants and it's unfortunate because those are and math in particular is essential it is essential skill and and music would be obviously nice to have as well so for sure but but um it's it's interesting what what's required for basic braille and what's required for you know next level advanced braille training for transcriptionists and itinerants and that kind of thing what about you carrie did you learn braille music at all i can't remember no because you no, took music I didn't. you took music briefly in high school though right yeah i learned i learned to play the clarinet and yes. i did that mostly by ear and i would have seen braille music uh examples of it but uh, I don't know what I would have needed to do to kick it up that year or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it um, and it because it's it's a whole other system. It's it's completely mind bending for anybody who is who is familiar with print music, and similarly, print music can be mind bending for anyone um, learning braille music because they're two entirely separate systems because they're they're read differently and they're interpreted differently, and so it's um, the it. it they they are challenging to learn and it's it's good to learn but it, they I, I don't blame people for being a little intimidated but you learned young young girl i did yeah i was i was i guess nine or ten when i learned i would have been in grade four um ahead of going to the st mary's yeah and that, so can, I, that can make all the difference as you talk it's about true yeah it's true yeah it, it can certainly learning braille in general mm-hmm yeah, and it is that type of thing where for a lot of people, Braille is intimidating to begin with. So then when you try and learn these math codes and music codes and all of this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. it's taking it to a whole whole new level. And it's just, it, it can be quite difficult for sure. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's a lot of things are in the hands of it, the instructors, I feel. So if, if, and that's like many things, if somebody is, who is teaching a student is intimidated by something and keeps making it, you know, something to be concerned about. Oh, I know this is hard or, or it's complicated. You know, it, 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 uh, it doesn't help the student become confident. It doesn't change that it's difficult, but it changes sort of the perception and how it's approached, like sort of a, a challenge as opposed to an impossibility. But I'm also not, I'm also not an educator. So it's, I mean, it sounds easier in my head than it probably is in real life. So. <laughs> Yeah, I've noticed that for sure. Like any time, any time I have tried to teach anyone, and I'm I'm not a teacher by any means, and it's mm-hmm. trying to show my sister or a friend or whatever it may be. It's 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 definitely mm-hmm. not it's not an easy skill, and it definitely it has a major effect on on the the students learning just to, depending how it is. And in in my case, it was the fact that I mean, for one, it wasn't my main priority at the time to learn music braille, but it also just mm-hmm. the the instructor wasn't was kind of learning it at the same time and wasn't really uh, confident with it. Yeah, so it's, it's going to be sure. harder to, to to catch on at that point. Yeah, yeah, but like for one, for what within you know, easy for one student to learn isn't as easy. It depends on the time time in someone's life they're learning and their oh, yeah, their, definitely their um whoever's teaching them and um i think like you said braille in itself is mystifying to a lot of people 
And we talk about accessibility all the time on Outlook. And I think it's important that we talk about um, Braille, music Braille, mm-hmm. all of those things. Because it's such a below-the-mind below the sort of idea for most people. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, what's interesting, this is a bit of a sidebar, but it is interesting for me, at least in my education background and other things, there's a lot of um, stuff on how to get things into Braille and not as much about how to get like music and math and, and other things from Braille back to print. And so it's, and so you can't even show people sort of what you're seeing and what you're working with because they can't ever, most of the time, it's hard for them to see what you're doing because the, there's no way to get that what's, you know, on your Braille device or on your Braille page into a, a format that somebody who can see can read. So it, uh, it doesn't help. That doesn't help the mystification factor. Mm. Yeah, we don't really think about going both ways there with that. Yeah. But yeah, that's why, you know, like these days in the 21st century with technology, when to, mm-hmm. we still got to highlight the importance of these itinerant teachers and these Braille transcribing yes. courses yes. that people are taking to be, get better educated, like you said, to be able to teach um, math and music and all of those things. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, that's sort of interesting. I mean, you sound like you're very obviously driven in your family and uh, you've had a really well-rounded education as far as um, music and it sounds like you are interested in math and things somewhat. Mm. I don't know if you want to talk about what you've seen as far as you're a few years younger than us uh, coming up through school, learning math and all the sort of Mm -hmm. STEM subjects, but... Yeah, I am. Um, I mean, my it, it helps that my family is um, they're all STEM people, for lack of a better term. So um, th- there's a lot of folks in in my family, immediate and extended, who are um, in health fields, in biology, study different things, um, zoology, that kind of thing. And so I had that that understanding that science was something that was was fun and cool and and very doable and so I think that that also sort of determined how I how I approached different subjects and that my parents weren't going to accept that I couldn't do science class and couldn't do calculus and math and any number of things so that that sort of was a, a springboard but I also had a great itinerant teacher who um, taught me math braille early so I think it was grade three grade four when I first learned math code um, and uh, so having that knowledge, I think how, knowing how to write it properly and how to, to do all the notation to show my work and having somebody there who could read it, who just could go and write the, the print under the braille and, and, and all of that kind of thing, it made it easier because it wasn't, any, it wasn't a huge hurdle. It was just, this is how you wrote math, this, this is how we laid it out. And uh, that was helpful, I think. Where it became a challenge was uh, when things, in some ways, when things became more electronic, because when it was manual, I had somebody who wrote print under the braille, and and it was um, great that way. When it became to a computer system, as I said, there isn't really a way to get math into an accessible form um, on the computer as of yet that that I've been aware of. There might have been something since I left university, but um, it was... uh, 
a challenge just sort of, as I said, to get my material in an electronic format that worked for me and also get my own, what was in my head, onto a page, um, be it print or electronic. And so that was an interesting challenge. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of, of science and, and things like that, I, I took biology and chemistry up until grade 12 and, and really enjoyed it. And, and um, physics sort of was a challenge <laughs> to take grade 12 physics like my sisters did, but I, I uh, you know, chemistry, biology were, were good and uh, math was good too. So it, uh, yeah, I was, I was lucky that we'd have those opportunities. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about the, the times because for me, it was in the early 2000s when I was in school last. And so for me, for or at least as, as far as school that would co be covering math and science mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So at that point, it was still pretty much all on the on the manual brailler. So I've always been really curious to, yeah. to see what it would be like these days with computers and technology. And like you say, in some ways, it's they're a good thing, but in other ways, it could be make things a little more difficult. Yeah, I think the um, with the change to the Braille system for math, it's now Unified English Braille, which I don't find is a, it, it's basically as a very high level for anyone unfamiliar, which is probably most of your listeners. Um, Unified English Braille is just a way to make sure that every Braille system in the English-speaking world is the same. And for a while, it wasn't. The UK had its own thing, and, and Australia and New Zealand had their own thing, and then North America had its own thing. So they tried to make it all the same and uh, easier, more easily translated by computer. So that made sense in, in, in theory. The challenge was math, because the UEB, Unified English Braille Math, is a very in my mind, very convoluted, very complicated, um, whereas um, older forms were a lot more sensible. But all that being said, I think there are now some translation tools uh, with note takers, so an electronic device that's sort of like a, a personal uh, device, assistive device, PDA, before they were cool, um, with a braille display and ability for someone to read and, and write notes and including math. And so I think those standalone devices have math translation from braille to print now, but uh, that was a new thing that came in partway through my degree um, when I needed it and it didn't handle the advanced math I needed. It, it sort of, it, it handled some things by K to 12 better, but in terms of it, the, in university level calculus sort of defeated it so coming but it's just not quite there yet and uh i don't it's hard to get appetite for that it's uh because it's sort of a chicken or egg argument if if no one's taking stem subjects in, in university why would you make something that a tool that they could use but at the same time if you don't have a tool that they can use they can't take stem subjects so it's sort of trying to get manufacturers and people on board to say yes we will like add extended support for integrals <laughs> would be great. I, I hope that that happens soon, but uh, I guess the plus side is it's coming. It's just not fast enough in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. I've noticed lately that there are a lot of, a lot of blind people interested in, in these, as we're calling them, the st STEM subjects. So it, it, like you say, it is a lot of the, if there isn't mm -hmm. the, if the, if the stuff isn't already, the infrastructure isn't there, then people aren't going to mm -hmm. even have the, uh, thought that they could even go into these fields whereas if more people are doing them and the sure. equipment's there then it's um 
it's more readily available. Exactly. So STEM just, I don't think we've actually expanded to science, technology, engineering, and math. And I'm right. really glad that people are interested in it. I've, I'm glad to hear that. I haven't been aware of it, but I'm really glad it's, it's happened. And I know that people of our parents' generation who are blind did go into STEM fields and did have engineering degrees and all sorts of other things. And I think they, I mean, they obviously made it work. And I'm not sure exactly how they did that. And I'm not sure if they benefited from a manual process or they just, they, you know, they developed their own shorthand. They came up with things where it didn't have to look like everybody else's math, but it was theirs and it gave them the results they needed. I'm not sure if all of how all that worked, but I certainly know we're not the first, we're, we're certainly not the first to say that we want to join these fields or want to open them up. We're coming up on the halfway point of today's show, so we're going to take a quick break for some promos, and we'll be right back with more Outlook and our guest, Sarah Jevnikar. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, you're listening to Outlook on Radio Western, and we are here with our special uh, guest speaking with Sarah Jevnikar today. Uh, thanks again, Sarah, for... Thanks for having me. This is fun. It's great to have someone uh, local from, from London. We've had a lot of guests yeah. from all over the place in, in Ohio and Colorado and oh, wow. out west. And cool. so it's interesting to in Ireland. So it's nice to have someone from right here from London, Ontario on the show. Well, fantastic. And, and congratulations, because I understand you guys are uh, just had your two year anniversary on the radio, which is super cool. Thanks. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, that was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. It's, uh, it's fantastic when you're having fun. Time flies, yeah. Uh, I was just going to say that we said at the top of the show that we, um, our parents started sort of a, a program for preschoolers who are blind back. I think I was told that the program didn't even get really going until after I was out of that stage anyway. So I was already in school Um but it's the thing that, you know, it has to start somewhere and then you, hopefully people benefit after that. But uh, programs have come and gone kind of mm -hmm. over the years. Um, but we, you know, that's how we'd heard of you and your sister and your family. And yeah, yeah so now we're talking to you during COVID times. So we're doing it not in the studio in the same place, all of us, which would have been nice. We were just talking about education before the break. It was a big thing, STEM and music braille yeah so maybe maybe talk a little bit about after high school here in london and, and just a little bit about going to university and what you went to university for and how that the challenges that it might have posed or the the pros and cons <laughs> i guess of moving to a different city and, and all of that yeah yeah so i went to the university of toronto um I know it's boo hiss because we're in purple pony land, but uh, yeah, I went to U of T. I um, I got a, a full scholarship there and was excited for the adventure. So I, I was eager to try something new, and I uh, started in actuarial science, which is a very math heavy um, app program intended for uh, to become an actuary, which is someone who manages risk for. Um, pension funds and, and insurance companies and, and that kind of thing and uh, so I, I started in that program and I didn't I think I I don't think I fully appreciated how much I leaned and benefited from itinerants and, and supports from the school system that I had like transcription and like people helping me get books and 
things like that, um, because going there, there are certainly supports for people with disabilities at the university level, but it's definitely not the same. It's it's a, it's a big place. There's only so many uh, counselors. They have a huge caseload, and somebody who was studying a math heavy program where that wasn't happening that often with braille reading students it was a hell of a challenge uh to say the least so i it um yeah i struggled i think i, I struggled with with struggling academically uh, because i'd been such a high achiever and to that to date and i think everybody does right that's that's a universal thing when you go to you're sort of the big fish in a little pond and then you <laughs> then yeah. everybody who is in that Big, big ocean is uh, just as you know they're they're just as talented as you had been, and uh, trying to realizing what that was like to struggle academically was a challenge. Then to compound that with accessibility stuff and with being in residence and, and the sort of the loneliness and, and things that compound that um, mental health became a became an issue and uh, it was something I, I struggle with and sort of continue to struggle with in some ways. And uh, you know it, it's. It uh, it was challenging. I ended up taking uh, some time away from school, sort of four years in. So I would have finished in four years, except I totally didn't. And so came back to London and, and had an opportunity to get well and to get myself sort of back on my feet and sorted out a little bit better and then returned to Toronto and changed programs. So I switched into economics and international relations, which was a really cool program. I I think at that point I, I I wasn't able to enjoy it to the extent I would have liked, but it uh, because it had been so long and I sort of, you know, it just mental health things being what they are. Um, but it was a great opportunity to be able to go back. Um, I had supports um, and you know the family, fantastic as they had always been, um, and with economics that that didn't um, alleviate the challenges of math and accessibility. Um, there are cer certain certain issues that, that remained, um, which meant that my degree was still challenging going back, uh, but it was, I was happy to have gone back and have the chance to do that and to be able to finish. My, my degree did take me 10 years from start to finish. It was a very lengthy process, a very painful process. Um, I'm I'm happy for that I was able to do it, but I, I there's you know the there'll be a long time before I'm fully able to let go of, of all the all the, the little regrets along the way, right? But that's that is life. That is part of growing up, I suppose, is to realize sometimes you things don't go to plan. But uh, yeah, it was um, I was it was neat to be in a big city with even better transit even though i know toronto is is not great compared to the rest of the world it's certainly great compared to london ontario in some respects um but i also i lived right downtown so i was able to had access to things and to opportunities which was really cool so it uh yeah it worked out quite you know all's well that ends well i suppose um and coming back to london i sort of thought I'd be here for a bit and then find a job elsewhere, but I was lucky enough to find work here. And so that was handy to be able to stay um, in town and to, to stay in London and to have that, that chance to be close to home. So that was, it uh, It worked out quite nicely. 
Yeah, I mean, that is really is a lot of change all at once with going going to university. And, and like you pointed out, I mean, yep. it, it's the same case for everyone where when you go off mm -hmm. to university compared to the public school and stuff like that, it's you are a lot, you know, you're more on your own. You you still have the help there, but it's it's not quite the same. Whereas when you're when especially for being sure. integrated, you're one on one a lot of the time and you have these, these people yeah. that are really close. And uh, so it's, it's a big adjustment. And the other thing just to quick mention is how you say the degree took long, uh, longer than you had hoped. And and mm -hmm. I've been the, that way where I always, when I was in school, people would say, oh, consider dropping a course, take longer. And I was always like, no, I yeah. can do it, I can do it. But after <laughs> after going to um, college here in London at Fanshawe for music industry arts, I did get mm. very overwhelmed in the second year. And um, yeah, I ended up having to drop a couple courses. And, and overall, looking back, I'm really glad I did. So I think sometimes yeah. people think they it's good to just, push yourself and, and it is to an extent but I think it's there's no shame in having to drop a few courses and take a bit longer to, to complete stuff because... yeah I for sure sorry to cut you off there no, I, I think it's it, <laughs> it it is good I think part of the the reason I sort of crashed and burned there a bit was because it was I wasn't um able to sort of to take stock and, and sort of look at the bigger picture. And then I sort of said, I have to do this in this time period and have all these things done. And I think in hindsight, what, what would have been helpful was to say, look, I, this, they, things are not going as they, they should be right now. I do need some help and I do need to, um, you know, I don't, it doesn't have to look great, perfect from the outside. And it also doesn't have to be in the same timeline as everybody else. It's just, you want that, but, if you're if you're pushing yourself to distraction to get that then it's just not worth it because then you'll never it'll be end up being worse right you won't get what you want and it'll be uh, not the results you hoped for so it's yeah having the taking stock taking time and uh, asking for support is never a bad thing even if it is very hard to do of course yeah so uh, how did that work then? You came back to Lynn, you said, and you ended up getting a job here. Mm -hmm. What kind of experience have you had uh, uh, in, in the job searching process and, and how did that lead to the job you're at now? Yeah, so that, um, that was an interesting process. I, um, I, had a, I had a babysitting job in high school, um, <laughs> which, was, which was pretty cool and uh, yeah. got that experience. And then... Um, had some summer jobs throughout university um, that at least gave me some experience. I, I did some work at the CNIB Lake Joseph Center, which is a summer camp for uh, people who are blind or have low vision or their families and support networks. And that was sort of before I went to university. And then I had um, a couple sort of office jobs um, I guess you could say they were Bay Street office jobs in Toronto because that's where all the big offices were, um, or are rather. And uh, those were neat experiences and just a whole different way of um, of looking at things and dressing up for work and all, all that, that sort of corporate type stuff. And uh, then coming back to London, I, I ended up working um, through an employment agency leads and I wish I could remember exactly what the acronym stood for but they are fantastic and uh, they uh, helped me find a, uh, a part-time job at a company in London called Digital Echidna and uh, they 
I was doing some accessibility assessment for them, and that wasn't something I thought I would do, uh, but I'd taken some web HTML courses um, when I was off in London and sort of figuring out what I want, what, how I was going to, you know, figure out the rest of my life, basically, and uh, exploring other, exploring options. And uh, so I had a bit of, a little bit of knowledge. And then because I use assistive technology, a screen reader, and other other tools, I was able to to get this work as an assessor for accessibility for this um, this web web design firm. And I know they they do a bunch of other things, but I the the web portion is is what I was most familiar with. So I started work for them part time in 2014, and uh, because it was a remote opportunity, so even though I was in London, I wasn't necessarily in the office all the time. So when I went back to Toronto finish my degree, um, I was able to continue working for them, which was a neat opportunity. It, it gave me a chance to sort of figure out time management better and balance things and also um, have those those relationships and uh, that experience. And so I continued with them part-time and uh, <clears throat> through them was um, part of an organization, which I don't believe exists anymore, but it's called Ability First. And that was a um, an organization that supported employers to hire people with disabilities. And I was on this committee representing Echidna. And uh, on this committee also was uh, my current boss, uh, <laughs> Bert Floyd at TD. And uh, he had first uh, a retirement on his team and uh, then an teammate of one of his people, another person on his team, was moving to a new role within the bank. So he had two open positions on his team. I interviewed for one and then was was offered the other. And uh, so it was sort of, it, it turned this part-time role at Echidna developed and blossomed into this full-time gig at TD. And uh, so I've, I've continued my relationship with Echidna. I do some work for them uh, when they require it. But uh, it's, it's just sort of neat the way things work, right, and the different connections that you have. And uh, so that I was able to con have that job in London, and uh, that was pretty handy. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where we are now. I started work at TD in 2018. I uh, just had my two-year anniversary there uh, a few weeks ago as well. And so, yeah, it's been quite the journey. Yeah, congratulations on that anniversary oh, then. Thank you. We, we sort of <laughs> reconnected you. that same year. Yeah, yeah, we did through the Canadian Federation of the Blind. And, and uh, that was, I'm, I don't even remember how exactly that <laughs> yeah, happened, say, but it was it was neat that it did. It, uh, that That is how, we, yeah. like Carrie, we, we talked about how we knew of each other growing up a little bit, but not, not too yeah, much. And then it, you know, we all grew, grew up our own did our own things and then reconnected mm -hmm. and and i was curious you maybe don't remember but how how we did reconnect was through the the canadian federation of the blind and do you happen to remember how yes. you you found out about them because i think i just we f saw you post on the on the mailing list at some point yeah i think i in one of my moments when did i i i'm trying to remember now so i first learned of the national federation of the blind um i know my parents knew about it for earlier than I did, but I sort of became aware of it myself when um, through the National Association of Blind Students mailing list um, uh -huh. that I discovered okay. sort of early on in university. And so that was 
first introduction to, to the NFB. And I think I just, I, I don't even remember. It was sort of a, I think it was a late night Google search of trying to find like blind people that are, that can I like understand my current struggles in life. I'm not exactly sure what I was looking for, but I think I, I came across the CFB. I wrote to them and Eric Bergraff, uh, who's heavily involved with them, wrote back and then it, it didn't really continue into anything for a while because I was sort of, um, I wasn't in a great place and I, I had bigger issues at school and health and stuff I needed to deal with. And so that was sort of a few years ago. And then coming back into, I think I joined the mailing list at some point and then coming back into it with um, the Ontario chapter and, and help sort of being peripheral to setting up the first ever sort of meetup we had in August of 2018. So it's sort of, I, I wish I could remember all the dots, but that's sort of the, 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 the arc I think was, was me looking for young other blind people that could have, uh, support and and help me figure out my life basically and then and and sort of inspire me to to keep going and to do stuff and to and and then that became um the list and cfb and reconnecting with you guys and all sorts of things so yeah yeah great yeah i can't believe that was two years ago now then I, it's flown yeah. by and it and it's uh i think the i yeah with i didn't appreciate and it sounds so silly, but I didn't appreciate full-time work, how much time it takes. And obviously, you know, it, it's, it's the time of, of the work, obviously. And then before COVID, it was commuting. And then now post-COVID, it's, it's, it's really easy to log back in and to keep doing stuff, even though you know you probably shouldn't and, and, uh, and other things. So it, and just the mental energy as well. So it's, it was a bigger jump from part-time to full-time than I'd imagined. Um, and so I sort of, and I, yeah, trying to keep on top of on related, you know, friendships and socialization and stuff has been so um, weirdly difficult, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in I'm in the situation now where I'm still mm -hmm. looking, uh, st still still on the job hunt. But for me, it is one of those things, kind of like what I said with school, where I always thought previously, mm -hmm. like, oh, I definitely want a full time job. But now, when I think about it, I'm kind of thinking like I have. I'm doing a couple of radio shows. I'm doing you know, a couple of bands. I'm doing this and this and this. So maybe part-time work mm -hmm. would make more sense. And it's just, it's just something to, to consider, I think, for people is different options. And you, you, don't, know, you don't always yeah. know until you do it either. So sometimes you just have to. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes you just have to take, I mean, to be, to be candid, sometimes you just have to take the job that's offered, right? And, for sure, if, and whether it's part-time or full-time. You know, part-time, full-time. I mean, or, and obviously apply to the things that you know you can do, right? So you, you don't apply for a full-time job if you know you're not able at the, at the moment to take it. But just given what's the market that's available right now, it may, may not be something that you have a whole lot of choice in. And that's that's challenging for everybody, though. But that's that's not really a blind thing. That's just like the, the nature of, of job hunting. It's it's tough and sometimes you just get lucky and uh yeah it's uh yeah and our, our lives are never never end up turning out the way we thought they would as kids <laughs> or whatever no and and i think sometimes i don't think i ever knew what i like you know there was no sense of what any sense of what you know wanted to be when you grew up right and i think there's lots of that too where you sort of just you go with the flow and you figure out what you want as as you discover new things and yeah yeah. So how has it been for you with COVID? Like what kind of tools did you use? What was your work environment like? 
So now that since COVID this last six months. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm lucky I'm able to work from home. And so my job hasn't really changed much at all. Um, That's good. Because I, I sort of was my, uh, my boss very kindly dropped me off with my computer and my braille display on the 16th of March at noon and said, okay, we won't be back in the office for a while. And uh, so I don't think any of us had any sense of how long this was going to be. But um, certainly it's, so it's been lucky in that sense that it's um, in terms of my day-to-day work and all of that, it hasn't changed a lot. So I, as I said, it's, it, um, it's tempting to, to work longer because you can, because it's, it's your laptops right there and why wouldn't you? Um, but it's also, I mean, it's, it, uh, it, I'm, I was happy for the, I am happy for the structure uh, because, you know, I'm expected to be online for a certain number of hours a day at, at certain times and you have meetings and you have other things that, that still exist. And so I think it, whereas I think for, for others, it was a struggle because there was so much, uncertainty and lack of structure and, and other things whereas I had um I had the uncertainty that we all did certainly but I also had um the expectations of that you had to be like you know up and presentable and 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 ready to rock by you know whatever time and uh so it's it's been I think it's been stressful for a number of reasons but it certainly has been uh, an easier ride than many I think so as far as COVID with Either it, it could be work, uh, technology, accessibility, mm-hmm. or travel-related. What would you say you've seen as the biggest challenge that blind people or you yourself have had have had had since COVID, or or do you know um, any like you said benefits? Yeah, that- well, it's I th- there's it's weird how dependent I've had to become on other people because the bus isn't an option anymore, and for a while, and even now, walking into a grocery store trying to solicit assistance from two meters away is is challenging. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily want to walk side of guide with someone. Um, I mean, you're both masked up, right? But it's still, um, there's still that apprehension in, in going out beyond your very small bubble. And so having to, to ask my parents for things and that I wouldn't haven't had them to do for a long time has been challenging and it has been very isolating because like everybody we haven't really seen anyone else beyond each other like our immediate family for for months and uh so I think that's been um that's been interesting I'm in terms of like good things I mean we've been able to have virtual Pilates classes which has been awesome and uh Having access to that has been really good, um, but there's thinking about technology too. It's we've been we've just been lucky that Zoom is accessible. I guess to say that, and I know that Zoom's not the only platform, but it's certainly an, one of the major ones. And if um, you know if things weren't accessible, we'd be even more sunk because we don't have the same people in our lives that could come and read stuff or. If something isn't, you know, accessible, there isn't that that intervention that you could have to make it work. And so there's a total risk of double isolation of you could connect with people over digital tools. But if those tools aren't accessible, then you're you're in trouble for sure. Yeah, I guess I didn't think whether why Zoom was accessible just so happened to be. Yeah. And I I, um, I was familiar with Zoom a few years ago with Echidna 
that was the platform they used. And it seemed not bad, and I was impressed. And it seems that they've gotten even better. So it's not perfect. There are certain things I need to write to them about. But mm-hmm. it's um, they, they have, their and, and their documentation is great. They actually talk about how to use Zoom with a screen reader and, you know, different accessibility features of Zoom. And here's all this stuff that you can use. You know, they have keyboard commands. They have other things. that So a whole bunch of different different groups can use it, too. And so it's been that it's a, a really good lesson in, in universal design, right? That they they made it work for everybody, which is pretty fabulous. Yeah, I mean, a practice, like you said, they're writing. If you have a lot of issues, you still want to report to the company. Absolutely, I cannot um, like encourage people enough. If you have issues, please let the company know, like because especially as someone who's tested things and worked out with vendors and other things, if they haven't heard from people, they don't think they may not know problems exist. They might not think problems exist because they haven't received any complaints. So don't as, as much as tempting as it is to just delete an app and not never use it again and, and move on. It's, it's super helpful to, to report it and to let them know, even if their response is mediocre. Yeah, and that's how that is how things change. Like for yeah. for me with the with software with Pro Tools, like in in two thousand five when I tried to use it, it wasn't accessible at all. And if everyone had Brutal. felt like that and was just like, oh, whatever, I'm not going to try. Whereas yeah. instead, people people talk to the to the um, creators of the program, and from there, the you know more people oh, started using it, and now it's very yeah. very accessible. So these things awesome. were the were the people who can make these changes really. Yeah, so. uh, and Slack is a good access good example of that because it. Uh, it was really bad. It was really inaccessible about six years ago, and it's it's not perfect yet. There are some weird focus issues, but it um, is a heck of a lot better than it used to be. So I definitely want to share, you know, acknowledge the people that have done good things, uh, but certainly make sure that that you, you don't get like keep t- keep talking to people, even if they've done good work. It doesn't mean that they're done yet. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like voting. Some people you get kind of down on it. You think, you know, what is it? What is my own little opinion? Oh, you know, me and matter yes. here. But it's the exactly. same with accessibility. We, it is frustrating to send an email to the companies and wonder if they care if they're hearing mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, no, some people have better luck than that, with that than others. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and it really depends. It's such a it's such a crapshoot. You never know what you're going to get, and and it's hard, but you can't take it personally either. So sometimes people will write back with these stupid responses, and it's it's uh, really easy to be like, oh, you must hate people with disabilities. But it's just that they they just don't. I don't know. There's it's just there's ignorance and there's other things, and it's they're not trying necessarily to be a jerk. They just literally don't understand. They you know they just don't have that knowledge yet. So it's. Patience is a virtue for sure in, in, in anything accessibility related. Right. Obviously, with the work you do, it sounds like there's been a lot of <laughs> work with accessibility. Too. Yeah, for sure. And, and um, yeah, with, with, with quality assurance testing with Echidna and, and now with more consulting with TD, you, you definitely do talk to people a lot and you have to you come across as a broken record. You have to say things a whole bunch of times, but it uh, mm-hmm. it really is... Uh, Eventually, it gets through. <laughs> or if it doesn't, at least you've been polite about it and assertive and, and given everybody what they need to know to solve it for later, for next time. Yeah, it's always about y- your approach as a as a customer using the product, and then it's the person that you end up talking to. Some people are easier to 
to convey these things too than others. And it just, you know, it's, it's, it's a combination of both. So we've been talking to Sarah Jevnikar here today on Outlook, and we're almost finished with today's show, just a couple minutes left. Um, so I don't know if there was anything else specifically we wanted to cover. I just wanted to quick thank you for, for helping with, with that social back a couple of years ago. And you, and you did help um, connect with a bunch of other blind people in London, because at the time I didn't really know that many. And um, one that comes to mind is, is Roger, who we had on the show. But it's just it's nice to, to get other people in the community, at least to know that we're out here and, and there are people that when there is time to, to work on things, we all have our own lives and we all get busy. So um, yeah, it's, it's just important to, to all, all work together and, and continue these, these uh, discussions. Yeah, and there's so much, so much I could have asked you about Sarah with your job there. You know, there are questions like how you do that, and you said a bit about that, the, the technology you use, your braille display, and what your own journey's been like. Very well, thank you so much for having me. This is a pleasure, and uh, take good care, everyone. Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB and on Facebook facebook.com slash outlook on radio western